So the reading for today is uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, beginning at verse 25. Chapter 2, verse 25. Before I read the, the lesson, though, I do want to make a comment. It's a wonderful thing, the Uncle George Fund. But I want to tell you about another way we bless families uh, this time of year. We do it actually throughout the whole year. We had a family come to see us this week, and uh, they belong to our church. And it's okay that I tell this story. They're, they're happy with that. I won't mention the names, uh, but just going through a hard time. You know, we all have things that happen to us where we have needs and we have things that are going in our life. We just need some help, a little bit of help. And this family came to us, and after a series of unfortunate incidents that occurred, it just sort of put them in a bad place. And our church was able to help them get out of that bad place and get them right on solid footing again. And the reason we are able to do it is because of a man in our church named Frank Falco. Um, before Frank Falco died, he established a trust fund to help families. And he said, we help people outside the church all the time. Let's help people inside the church. And I know all around this room, all morning, there are people who have been helped by this fund when they've been in a difficult spot. Can I just say Frank Falco? I want to say his name. You know, at Christmas, uh, I walk around the campus and I see and think about people who are no longer here that gave so much. And I remember a few Thanksgivings ago, um, Frank just was really touched by the families that would be coming to our church and needing something for Thanksgiving. And Frank, on his own, without telling anybody, he said, don't tell anybody. I can tell now because he's not around to say no. But, <laughs> but he bought a turkey for about 350 families, 350 turkeys. And then right before Frank died, uh, this was his last thing he did with our church. He wasn't able to come anymore. He invited me, about four or five others, over to his house. He had a hospital bed there set up in his, his living area. I love Frank. He was from Texas, and so I understood his way of thinking. And we went over to his house. There was about four or five of us, and he had a lawyer there to sign these papers. And he looked at me, and he said, Emory, you're putting this in endowment so you can't touch it for one of your blank projects. <laughs> and uh, it was funny. We laughed. And... Literally, two or three days later, Frank passed away, but his giving just continues to give. His generosity just continues to bless people. And it doesn't matter what you, if you just, when we give, it just has a ripple effect in people's lives. There's a lot of people in the world that are takers, but the people in the world who make a difference are those who are givers. That's probably enough for a sermon. Let's just get up and go home, right? Yeah, that's a good one, yeah. Thank you, Frank Falco, and thank you. And his wife, Hope, still attends here, comes every Sunday. She's real involved with our church and ministry. So here's the lesson for today. Chapter 2, verse 25. Let's stand for the reading of the gospel this morning. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. And when his parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light for the revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. 
The child's father and mother marveled at what had been said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. So the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is the reading of God's word, and God's people did say, you may be seated. So you know, uh, Corey and his wife Jessica, next Christmas, Corey will be a big Christmas for you. It'll be your first Christmas with your new baby boy, right? Won't that be special for you and for your family? And I was thinking this week, you know, about our first Christmas with our children. And you know how when you have children, if you've had children, had the blessing of having a son or a daughter, the way you mark those first moments, those first moments of life. You know, the first diaper change, first time home from the hospital, first time they sleep all the way through the night. That's a good one. First tooth, not so good. First tooth. Uh, first haircut, I remember my son's first haircut, you know. All these first, first words, first words they speak, like mama, dada, usually those are the first words. First trip to the dentist. You know, for, I was thinking this one, the, I remember this, the first day at school. My son's first day at school began here when the school bus pulled out front and Alex walked in and got on the bus, went off to kindergarten. And when he got out of school that day, I was waiting for him when he got off the bus. First day at school, I was so excited. He got off the bus, walked up to me and I said, how did your first day at school go? He says, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> you know, first, first time in the pool, uh, first swimming lessons, um, first time on a bike without training wheels. But the one I thought about for this morning uh, was the first time that we gave Alex a, a fishing pole. And I still have it in my house, and it's a little Scooby-Doo fishing pole. It's about this long. And every time I walk out in the garage, I remember the day we gave him that fishing rod. And I took him fishing in a little pond, uh, a man-made pond in the middle of our little community where we lived. And believe me, there are no fish, or so I thought, in this pond. It was in the middle of the afternoon. You can't catch fish in the middle of the afternoon. We were just going to go. I was just going to show him how to cast, how to bait a hook. He's two or three. We put the worm on the hook. I cast two or three times just to show him and show him how to reel it in. And I promise you, this actually happened. Gave him the rod. He threw it out. It probably went from here to the first pew, if that. And hooked a one-and-a-half-pound black bass. It was... Now, you know what that did. It completely ruined him, right? When you go fish, you catch fish. You know, he doesn't know that you fish and you don't catch anything, right? Totally unexpected. It was a great moment. Never forgot that first moment, first fish, first fishing pole. And I never forgot the moment that happened in the car immediately afterwards. I learned a very important lesson for anybody that's going to be a father. Corey, remember this. Never put your son behind you in a car seat and hand him a fishing pole with a hook on it. <laughs> Later on, I'll show you the scar. But I know you have your first two. But I think sometimes we forget, we forget that Mary and Joseph were parents too. Now, can you imagine being the one responsible for raising the Son of God? 
The Holy Family had all these important first moments. And we don't know about any of them really because there's nothing really written about the childhood of Jesus except for this one little story in Luke's Gospel. There's just a couple sentences which talks about the childhood of Jesus. And it says that eight days after Jesus was born, his parents, in a ceremony, a rite, or ritual, had their son Jesus circumcised. Now this is an important part of the life of a young Jewish male. It was a defining moment that took them all the way back to Abraham. It was a part of their faith tradition. A defining and important moment. But then also, 40 days later, it says, another thing happened. 40 days after he was born, Mary and Joseph took Jesus to Jerusalem and took him to present him in the temple. And this is the story that we're hearing today. They go to the temple and they go for two reasons. Because Mary has to perform the rite or the ritual of purification. According to the law recorded in Leviticus 12, that a mother after giving birth was considered unclean and not allowed to participate in the religious life of Israel. Therefore, she had to go to the temple to make an offering, a sacrificial offering, and they would offer a lamb and a pigeon. But in this case, she offered two pigeons, which was a provision for the poor because Mary and Joseph were poor themselves. So this is what was happening. And then the parents would then make an offering on behalf of their son because it was believed, as written in the Old Testament law, that the firstborn son belonged to God for service to God. They would go home, but they would not be trained in the career of their father to follow in his footsteps, but instead they would be at some point at an age old enough, they would be taken to the temple, and they would give their entire life to serve God in the service of the temple. But there was a provision made. You would go to the temple and you make an offering, and you would make that offering to essentially to, to, to buy your son back, to, to bring him back home to you, to buy your son's service. And that's what they were doing. I always thought it was kind of interesting and ironic in the story that they took Jesus to the temple and they offered him up, and then they made their offering and took Jesus home. But then Jesus' whole life was about offering himself to others, but not in the service to the temple, but in the service to everyone, everywhere, all time, all people, being good news for all the people. And then later on, we know the story. The irony and the beauty of the story is that at the end of the story, what does he do? He does go to Jerusalem. He does offer his life. And instead of offering it for his own life, he offers his life up for everyone as a sacrifice for everyone of the world to experience the gift and the beauty of eternal life. That's the gospel. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all right there in this story. It's all right there in this moment. You see, for, for Joseph and Mary, I think it's important for us to remember that they were Jewish parents and that God had entrusted them with the role of shaping Jesus' early life. That faith and traditions and family and rooting their family life in a faith tradition was so extremely important to them. And it would become very important to Jesus later in his life. His life was shaped by these early traditions and these foundations. And what did Jesus say? He then would say, I have not come to abolish the law, but I've come instead to fulfill the law. It was such an important part of their life, the way they raised their son, that they themselves were holy people. They themselves were righteous. They themselves were dedicated. They were dedicated and devout people themselves. Now, I bring that up because I want to underscore a point here. I think that any time in the world, but particularly today, how important it is to, to root our children to root our children and our grandchildren in their faith. So they have these stories, these ancient stories, these old stories, these gospel stories, these Old Testament stories. 
Because when we read the Bible, the Bible does give us a worldview about who God is and what the world is about. And that every person on earth is of infinite value. That God is about compassion and empathy and love and compassion about loving our neighbor. And so it's so important that as our children are shaped in the world, they can be shaped by so many different forces in the world, that by being intentional about bringing our children to church and our grandchildren to church, we can give something to them that they can't get on the soccer field. We can give them something they can't get on the baseball field. We can give them something they can't get in the school. It's a foundation for life about how they see and how they understand the world. I'm so grateful for my own father and mother for taking me to church and making it a part of my life. And you know what's interesting is the only place you'll ever hear a man sing, really, think about it. Where do you hear men sing? It's just in church. And I'll never forget being in church, watching my father, who loved God, taking communion, and then hearing my dad sing. You know, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. You know, my dad was a lot of things, but one of the things my dad was, was he was a follower of Jesus Christ. And that became such an important part of who I am and how I knew I was valued and how I knew I was loved. You may not know this, but as you know that if you were to hear Bruce Springsteen talk about his life, he would tell you that he grew up next door to a Catholic church. And he would tell you that he went to church as a, as a little boy and participated in the work of the church. And that if you listen to his music and you hear the themes of redemption and light and darkness in his music, it's because the early years of his life was shaped by his, his life in the Catholic church. So that's what they're doing here. And so that's why they're in the temple. They've gone there because they're rooting his life. In the, and it is in this moment that we're introduced to Simeon. Now, most of you probably, maybe you've never heard of Simeon. You know why you've never heard of Simeon? Well, one thing, he's only mentioned once in the Bible. The other reason is because this story is always read on the Sunday after Christmas. That's why you don't hear the story. Because nobody goes to church on the Sunday after Christmas. Or the next Sunday after Christmas. That's usually when the story's read because it occurs after the birth of Jesus. But here's what we know about Simeon. Simeon, his whole life was dedicated to waiting for God. There was a longing in his heart. God had revealed to him through the Holy Spirit that before he died, he would see the Messiah come to make things right with the world. That at some point, he would see the words of the prophets fulfilled, the prophet Isaiah fulfilled, that the Son of God would come into the world and he would get to see the Son of God, and that he would be there to see it, and he wouldn't die till he saw it. The Bible tells us, and Luke tells us, that he was a righteous man. He was a devout man. And so every day he went to the temple to wait, to wait for the consolation of Israel. And by the word consolation, it means that God is going to come and deliver Israel from itself. Deliver Israel from the suffering it, ex it experienced. And bring the leader that would bring the kingdom of God to the earth as God desires it in heaven and on earth. That's why he's remembering the words of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 40, verses 1 and 2. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sins have been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand 
double from all our sins. And this Isaiah passage is all 49, talks about the coming of the Messiah. And so this is that moment when he is in the temple and he's waiting. And on that day, can you imagine, on that day he gets this glimpse, this idea, and he runs to the temple and he's looking and waiting. And then there he sees. He sees Jesus. And then he takes Jesus into his arms. And that's that moment that he's been longing for. Let let me just ask you, what are you longing for? What are you hoping for? What dream has God put in your heart? Everybody, Everybody longs for something. Maybe it's a longing for your career, for your future. Maybe it's a longing for your family. And don't we all long for our children and our grandchildren and the people that we love? And maybe it's a longing for relationships in our own life to be made right, relationships that are broken, or relationships to begin. And then you look at the world we live in, and if you sit in church and you read Scripture and you pray daily, how can you not pray for the kingdom come in a world which seems to be so undone, so filled with hate. You know, I'll tell you this, uh, it's easy to hate. It requires nothing of you. But love is not easy because love demands something of us. And how cannot we want to see love at work in a world, empathy in a world? How can we not long for that? And so what, what Simeon is doing, he's holding that baby, and he's looking at that baby, and he sees the future in that baby. He can see in Jesus holding that baby. And what does he say? He says, Lord, now you may dismiss your saint. You may dismiss me. There's a phrase that's called nuke dementis. It's a Latin phrase that's used, used, used often to describe the story. Nuke dementis is this phrase in Latin, now you may dismiss your servant in peace. What it means is his longing's been fulfilled. He's had that longing fulfilled. I read the story recently of John Coltrane, great jazz musician, and he was playing in New Orleans. And in this one night he was playing, and it said that as he was playing his instrument, everything came together. All the musicians came together. All his years of training came together. The crowd, it was all there. It was a perfect, it was the best night of his life. And it was believed as he walked down off the stage after performing a love supreme that he said these words, Newt Domenis, your servant may depart in peace. So he's there, he's holding Jesus in his hands and he's looking at Jesus and not the Jesus, not the Jesus that would feed 5,000, not the Jesus that would be the miracle worker, not the Jesus that would be resurrected, but just the baby Jesus. And he's holding that baby Jesus in his hands, and he can see his salvation in the future. Let me just pause here one moment. Let me show you a photo that means a lot to me. And I have a lot of these photos. I have hundreds of them. You know, in the last 16 years that I've been your pastor, I've done this many times. And one of the great joys of my heart is to be able to dedicate children. And I just want to take a moment and underline this, because this is what Simeon was doing. Simeon was blessing Jesus. He was looking at Jesus and seeing his future. I want to say that is one of the most important things that our church does in the world. It's to dedicate and bless children. Whether you have children in the church or not, it's something that we do. We take children and we hold them in our hands. We 
we take them from their parents, we hold them in our hands, and we look in their eyes and we say, you belong to God. You are a gift to the world. You are a and we look in their eyes and we see their future. We see the love they will bring. We see the hope that they will bring. We see their future. And this is so important in a world that wants to label and stereotype and demean and dehumanize. And what we do is we, we label them as God's child, claim them as God's child, so that someday... Someday, when they've been knocked down and they've been beat up and they forget who they belong to, they forget who they belong to, we can remind them of this day and say, no, this is who you are. This is who you belong to. And this is your future. We had a really incredible thing happen last week, and you may never have met her. Her name was Polly Ball, and she used to sit about four or five rows up here on the left, and every Sunday I would say, Polly Ball. She would say, David Emery. Polly Ball passed away last week at the age of 96. I did her funeral here on Thursday. There were 10 or 15 people here for that funeral. But I want to tell you something. For a woman who never had children, she had a lot of children. She was a school teacher for her entire career. She started, she was 17 years old. She was also a cousin of Kaywood Ledford. And she grew up in Harlan County. Gave her whole life to teaching. And it was the focus of her life. And I said in the funeral, I said, if you were to bring every child here that she had held and blessed, every child that she proclaimed the future for, this building would not be big enough to hold all the lives and generations of people she had blessed. Two Christmases ago, my wife loved Polly Ball works with Polly Ball. We went to see her on Christmas Day. We took my granddaughter to see her, and she sat up in Polly's lap, and Polly blessed her. But here's the incredible thing about this story. So we have the service, and we've been talking about the way she had children, even though she, all children were her children, and the way she blessed children and claimed their future and, and spoke in the children. And as we are pushing the casket out of the sanctuary, me in front, the family behind, as we get through the doors to go out the doors to ring the bell, 35 to 40 children go running in front of the casket. Middletown Elementary was having a Christmas lunch here with one of their classes, and the teacher apologized to me and said, I'm so sorry, we didn't know there was a funeral. I said, no, 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 God arranged this. And you won't believe what happened. As we are loading her casket into the hearse, parked beside the hearse was a school bus that was being loaded with children. The school bus pulled away, and she then pulled away behind them. Wow, I, you can't even make that stuff up. I'm not even that smart to make up something like that. That's just something God can do, right? But that's my point of saying that is, is that is we are to look and to do what Simeon did, to, to look at children and to bless children. And so in that moment, as he looks in Jesus, do you know what he sees? He sees the descendant of David. He sees the one the angels sing about. He sing, sees the one that the wise men went to visit. He, he sees the one that the shepherds went to see. He sees the one that came to bring salvation to the whole world, not just to the Jews, but the Gentiles. The one that came to proclaim good news to all people, that Jesus. The one who came to bring thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That Jesus, he saw that Jesus. And in that moment, he did what we should all do this time of year. It's break out in song. He burst out in song. He sang Simeon's song. What did he say? He said, Sovereign Lord, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And by holding that baby and singing the song, he's confirming something that we believe, that Jesus is light, light and darkness. Did you know that in other parts of the world, um, I've never been a part of this, I've never experienced this, but I'd like to sometime. All over the world on February 2nd, there'll be a tradition celebrated called Candlemas. Candlemas. Forty days after the birth of Jesus is celebrated, they hold a service called Candlemas, and it is to mark this moment, to remember the moment when Jesus presented the temple and he was affirmed as a light to the world. And what do they do? People bring all their candles from their home. They stand out in front of a darkened sanctuary on a dark night. They light one candle, and then they walk into the sanctuary that's darkened and light the sanctuary with light to affirm that Jesus is light. And then they bless the candles. They then take the candles home, and then they light the candles throughout the year to remember to always to never forget that Jesus is the light. Now, we don't practice candle moss, but tomorrow night we'll be doing that. We'll be walking in here, and, and it'll be, we will turn off the lights, and, and we will sing Silent Night, and we will hold up candles to remind and say to the world that no matter how dark the world may be or become, there is light, and we celebrate it in the birth of Jesus. And so we do what Elizabeth Zechariah did on the good news We do what Mary and Joseph did. We do what the shepherds did. We do what the angels did. And, and we do what Simeon did. We sing and we worship and give God our praise. It's what we do every time we walk in this room when we read scripture and we take communion and we give our offering. It's what we do every day when we get out of bed and put our feet on the floor and we say, God, I belong to you. My life is yours. Thank you for this day. It's what we do every time we, we speak a word of kindness to someone we work with or, or give someone a helping hand or we reach out and we love our neighbor. It's what we do every single day when we serve, when we serve among those the least of these. And you know what it is? This worship, this worship is the response. It's our response. And the worship, what it is, worship is not just something that you do on Sunday morning for one hour. Worship is offering our life back to God in gratitude for his light. Allowing his light to fill us. Allowing his light to shine through us. That in a darkened world that we would be light. And that we would feel, fulfill the words spoken over us. That we belong to him.